Welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Austin Roden from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect businesses with top data engineering contracting talent. And today, I am your host. So, yeah, I just wanted to get um, a quick introduction, uh, essentially in the form of the first question, which is, how did you get into tech? And I will start with Alex first. <laughs> Whichever one of you wants to jump on it, perfect. Okay, so I had a fairly non-traditional foray into tech. Um, I always thought that I would go into law um, and I wanted to be a prosecutor. And after I graduated from college um, in the middle of the economic crisis, <laughs> I, um, I moved to Nepal for a legal internship, thinking that I would stay for three months and I'd saved enough money nannying and waitressing to to go for go for a little while. I brought. 90 pounds of LSAT books and was going to go back and go to law school after that. Um, but I had learned enough Nepali to get around before I moved. And I ended up um, in a district, then district called Sindhu Palchuk that had a long history of human trafficking to India. Um, and I understood enough Nepali to, uh, to understand what uh, a group of women was talking about there and started to be piecing together some research gaps around what was happening to women when they were going to the Gulf and experiencing labor exploitation in manual labor um, instead of in the sex trafficking industry in India and what happened to their cases. So I ended up getting hired to go uh, lead a team of, of researchers across Nepal to try and figure out uh, quantitatively, qualitatively, what was happening in that gap. Um, and then got hired by a uh, U.S. partner organization to digitize the way they were collecting the information from victims or potential victims on the border of India and help create the data systems that could fuel intelligence-led investigations rather than reactive investigations. So I'm... Um, all that to say that was two and a half years later, not three months, and I fell in love with research and data, and I skipped law school altogether. Um, and I saw that technology and data science could be a way to look at problems, really deep systemic problems proactively. Um, and I'd also spent uh, some time working in the prison system with um, with perpetrators both in in Nepal and in the U.S. and um, as as much as every part of the justice system is important um, and plays a key role, I I discovered I really wanted to work on the proactive and preventative side. So data science uh, to me was a way of of working on the issues that I I cared about from a different angle. Wow, awesome! Yeah, thank you for that. And then Alex, what about yourself? So I am the daughter of a psychologist and a microbiologist. And so I always just assumed I would go into science myself. We we joke my family is this like very bizarre version of Big Bang Theory because of the four of us with my younger brother 
he's the only one who doesn't have a PhD and he works for Lockheed Martin in in space travel and on the Orion project. So like we have a super geeky, geeky family. And so science has just always been in my blood. Um, and I the the dinner time conversations we would have about science and and how you apply learning and understanding to things that you're dealing with, like getting bullied in middle school and saying, well, what actually is happening here? Like, why is this kid picking on me and understanding the psychology of it and the behavior and why we make decisions that we make that might be harmful to other people? But I always thought I was going to be life science, right? I thought I was going to be a scientist. And so set out, did all of my work, worked in epidemiology and public health, especially global public health, spent a lot of time in Eastern, Southern, Western Africa, India, all over the place, trying to sort of understand how our environmental human and animal health intersects to drive outbreaks that we see and ultimately like COVID and the things that we've experienced. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And turned out when I came back to the States that because I'd gotten my PhD abroad at Cambridge in the UK, it was really hard to kind of slot back into the system here. And so just started saying, what do I do with all this like science experience? And so I joke that what I did is I became a scientist who worked with data rather than a quintessential data scientist. So I don't have a lot of the hard coding skills. Um, you know, please don't ask me to build you a neural network. It won't happen. But I have parlayed my ability to ask impactful questions into an ability to ask impactful questions of data that already exist, right? Data that we're collecting that exist on computers that are very much more the technology-based data rather than me sitting pipetting 96 well plates in, you know, a Cat4 lab somewhere. And so that was how I kind of ended up in the tech space rather than necessarily in the science space uh, through through this very odd, unintentional journey. <laughs> yeah, I know when I started uh, recruiting for tech roles, there were quite a few of the data science roles, and then you had the data engineering. And I started seeing people that had biology backgrounds and theoretical physicists, and I'm like, I don't understand where this is at really. And then, yeah, it's it's interesting how people kind of end up on that side. Um, cool, yeah, and thank thank you for that. So, next question um, would be. You know, as you were getting into the workforce and what you've seen in the past career that you've had, uh, what are some of the red flags, some of the green flags that you want to look for uh, in a recruitment process, uh, specifically, you know, toward women who are coming into a new opportunity? I know for me, one of the things that I like definitely ran into that I learned after the fact was like as as a woman, when you if you are interested in becoming a mom, there are very different supports that will be in place versus if you are a man expecting to become a dad. And that was not something I was aware of. I mean, when I started my career, I didn't really have my family in mind. Um, and when that time came for me, I have two small kids now, trying to navigate how to fit being a mom of two very demanding humans <laughs> along with a full-time job, um, excuse me, ended up being something that there were things I needed that weren't in place. So, for example, something as simple as, like, where are you going to nurse or pump, right? If you don't work from home, you got to take everything off the upper half of your body. Are you doing that in a public area? Like, how do you manage that? And it's something that seems very simple, but it's also just the idea that somebody has to have thought about this. And if no one's thought about it in a job you're going into, and you're going to have to, like, forge that path and figure it out yourself. And that wasn't something that I had thought of when I was looking at places to work. Sorry, Alex, your turn. So that's, I'm I'm not a mom, but um, I think those are are really really important important 
points and some things that I I look for or have advocated for are having women on hiring panels. If every person that you're interviewing with is a man, um, what does that say about the team that you're stepping onto and who makes decisions? Um, I think it's also really important as a hiring manager to advocate for other women on your team to be part of hiring panels. Um, the environment and gender dynamics that you work on in or work within in tech really affect the day-to-day job satisfaction of everyone on the team, including women and in different ways. So I think it's it's really important for the women on your team um, to be a part of those processes and feel ownership over the environment that you're creating as a team. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. Two is if you're, if you're applying to a big company or a public company and they have their financials and their, their tax returns, you can look for evidence of gender inequities. Uh, companies of a certain size or even uh, nonprofits will have the top uh, top paid employees uh, on their tax returns listing. And if all of those people are men, that might tell you something about the decision-making dynamics and equity at an organization. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you can look up too, right? You can just go online and you can see everything. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah, it's a big thing. Um, all right. So um, playing off of that, uh, as far as um, whenever you're in a position at a company, uh, what are some types of support that you would like to see for women that either don't exist yet or that already exist that you think need to be reinforced? Sure. So I have found across industries I've worked in, because I worked in public sector, I've worked in in the private sector um, now as well. And management is a technical skill that needs to be honed and developed in the same way your engineering skills do. So if you find yourself managing teams of engineers or managing teams of data scientists or cross-functional teams in general, um, all those 10 years or whatever of experience as an engineer are great but that is not 10 years of management experience and every manager needs training. Um, I have had management training. I read a lot of management books. I take it really seriously um, and look to other experts because there's so much expertise out there about good management. Um, But in terms of being a good manager to diverse teams or that, like including women um, and as a woman, I can speak most intimately to to what I need as a uh, a member of a team. Um, I would love for managers to be trained in uh, in creating equitable environments. So, how to look for the dynamics that you might not see because you don't have that experience, whether those are racial dynamics, gender dynamics, etc. There's so many times where I go into meetings and. I will see someone uh, direct a question to quote unquote, the technical staff on my team, uh, meaning the man in the room. And there will be a female engineer sitting there that is also a skilled technical resource and just ignored. And I noticed it, but the men in the room might not, or in some cases haven't noticed that something even happened. 
But then I have a staff come back to me that feels really demoralized that someone didn't acknowledge that she too is a technical resource. So how are your managers trained to recognize those things and address them? I have to say, having been promoted from a technical analyst to a director position, that gap in the training, because the way I said it is, I don't want to practice on my team. Right? I don't want my team to have to suffer through me figuring it out through trial and error. I want to be taught and given sort of a head head start in getting it right, rather than, again, just screwing it up and having my team suffer because I'm a new manager and learning. And that was also kind of a battle when I was first promoted was the idea was like, well, you just learn it. There's no way to teach that. You just have to figure it out. And And there was a part of me that was like, no, I'm pretty sure this is a skill that can be taught. How can it not be something that's taught? But I think that common knowledge is sort of that, well, you can't teach those kinds of soft skills when in fact, just as Alex said, yes, you can. And so I think that idea of saying, how does your organization have formal structures in place to do professional de development, not just for technical skills, but for management mm -hmm. skills as well? I, Alex and I were talking about this before the call that I always hesitate to say I can speak for women because I feel like my experience is my experience and somebody who's not a mom might have a different experience. Somebody who wasn't raised by two scientists might have a different experience. Somebody who, right, like there's so many elements of who we are and what we have experienced and what we've lived through and how we perceive the world that it it seems a little bit dangerous to say this is what should be done. But what I loved about what Alex said is that if we are taught tools for identifying the unique and different needs of our teams, then we will be sensitive to all of the requirements that that team might have. And we will be more aware of some of those needs that may not be common needs or may not be sort of the typical uh, or um, I would say like most prominent needs, right? Things that are just culturally understood. That that's what a team needs. And we can be, become more alert to those 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 hidden needs or needs of groups that aren't always rep well represented or don't always have a voice to say that's what they need. And so mm -hmm. I think that that is a really important part of management is how do you identify really what will motivate each individual as an individual in your team? What support does each individual need? How often does each individual want to be communicated with? Right? Are right. they the kind of person who wants to just be set loose or are they the kind of person that wants a check-in because no news is not good news to them? Yeah. Yeah. I think especially managing teams remotely. I joined a tech company April 2020. We went remote a month later um, and then moved our offices to, to Puerto Rico. So I was managing teams of people that I've never met uh, with some language differences, cultural differences that I didn't have training in and i definitely made mistakes along the way um i think for oh gosh where's the light well now i have no lighting but um it's fine you're good i i think that managing staff and teams remotely requires extra sensitivity and care there's so many things that you miss because you don't have the foundations of trust in you you don't see people in their their day-to-day -day norm. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for people to to hide things um, or not feel safe talking about things that are impacting their work. Um, and having those kinds of difficult conversations is a skill 
in itself. It is not comfortable for everyone. I am a high empath and I like to think I'm a really good, good friend and mentor and all those things. But the strategies that I use in having conversations with my friends outside of work that are struggling are different than conversations that I might have with staff or team members that are struggling and it's affecting team or personal performance. So that is a different skill set. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's, that's perfect. Um, and thank you for that. Um, yeah, actually we blended the last two questions and topics together. Um, and once again, I want to say thank you to Alex and Alex really appreciate having you on today. And for the rest of y'all, if y'all are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Austin Roden. You can find me on LinkedIn or email me at austin.roden at evolutionjobs.us. You can also check out our website, evolutionjobs.us. Thank you all so much.